0: Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. So, Our text for this morning is going to come from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, if you could please turn there. So starting in verse 1. having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was those of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be cursed, persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know about you, but after reading that text, I almost more like saying yikes than amen. <laughs> but um, so I feel like I maybe need to uh, apologize uh, at the beginning of the sermon because uh, I want to start by talking a little bit about science fiction, and I realize not everybody's into that, and so let me just apologize. Just like some pastors cannot avoid sports analogies, I, I can't avoid the occasional foray into to science fiction, so I hope you will uh, forgive me. So um, it is a, a well-established and objective fact that Star Trek is better than Star Wars. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll work on on y'all later. But one of the things, I'll just say what I like about Star Trek, or one of the things that I find interesting about Star Trek is that it has been around a long time, right? The first one was in the 60s. I grew up in the, like, late 80s and 90s watching The Next Generation. And what's fascinating about Star Trek is you can kind of see in the ways that they do the episodes, what were some of the cultural questions of the day that they were facing? What were the things that they were afraid of? Um, I find that fascinating to kind of look and see how that changed. So like I said, I grew up in the Next Generation era of Star Trek, and, and Next Generation is very kind of utopian. It's sort of this idea that through technology, man has managed to conquer things like hunger and war. And so now we are free to just explore the galaxy and devote ourselves to art and music and science, right? Like sort of this idyllic idea of of where we're going as as humans. But kind of the big bad guys in the next generation were these guys called the Borg. And the Borg are these like half robot, half humanoid Uh, creatures that are trying to assimilate everything, right? They're trying to turn everyone else into Borg um, and, and kind of bring their distinctiveness into the collective of the Borg, right? And it sort of represented at the time this, okay, is technology leading us to this utopia or there was this fear, right? Like, is it going to actually be our destruction, Is it going to be the thing that sort of takes over in some way that is destructive to us? And I think it was very representative of kind of some of the fears of that time. And it's been interesting to me through different iterations of Star Trek since then that they've gotten a little bit darker. They've gotten a little bit optimistic about what the future might look like for us. And I think part of that is just reflective of culturally There's a lot less maybe like hope that it's going to be good and maybe some more fears of what is the future actually going to look like for us. And I was reflecting on this with regards to this passage because I think the ways that we think about the future, the way that we think about what's coming really shapes how we live and what we value, right? What do we think the future is going to look like? Are we think that, that humanity is sort of evolving into some better thing, or are we, are we going towards catastrophe? Which, which is it? I think that's an interesting lens with which to look at the passage today, because in it, Paul is going to give Timothy a relatively sobering picture of what life is going to look like for him and moving forward. But that sobering picture is not intended to be a source of discouragement to him, but it's actually intended to encourage him to stay strong in the midst of it. So you remember, we have been going through 2 Timothy, and last week we talked about this idea of what it means to be an honorable vessel, this idea of what does it look like for us to be useful to God? That's how Paul sort of defined what it means to be an honorable vessel. And we, we talked a lot last week about what that looks like in being in a quarrelsome world where everyone's kind of fighting all the time. Today we're going to look at what does it look like to be an honorable vessel in the midst of a, a broken and dark world. So uh, we're going to be looking at, again, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And that starts here in verse 1, he says this, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. So he uses this phrase, last days. Now what is he talking about there? Well, when Paul talks about the last days, he is talking about the season between after Jesus ascends and when he'll return again, what is sometimes known as like the age of the church, but it's the season that is going to be leading up to the end of time, the last days. So when he says this to Timothy, he is both talking about Timothy's future, what he is going to continue to see in his life and in the church that he's pastoring, but also some of the things that he is presently experiencing. And he says that in this last days, there are going to become times of difficulty. Why? And then he goes on to verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. He goes on this long list, one of, of kind of Paul's long list of bad things about the, the way that people are going to be during the season. Now, in teaching this, Paul is actually echoing what Jesus taught his disciples. So, for instance, in Matthew 24, 9 through 14, this is what Jesus told his disciples it was going to be like for them. He says this, And then the end will come. So, from both Paul and Jesus, we have kind of this pretty sobering picture. But, like I said earlier, neither in the case of when Jesus taught his disciples this, nor when Paul is saying this to Timothy, the goal there is not to lead them to despair. Because I could understand, you kind of hear, okay, this is what it's going to be like. That could be pretty pretty depressing, pretty, pretty discouraging, but that's exactly opposite what's intended. I mean, yes, I think both Paul and Jesus wants the people they're teaching to be realistic, to be sober about what it's going to be like, but it's also there in order to encourage them. Hear those words of Jesus, endure to the end, right? And when Paul is writing this to Timothy, it is not so Timothy will give up. It's so that Timothy will actually endure, will be encouraged, will take up courage, that it will strengthen his resolve to stand firm in this time, as well as give hope. Because there is a hope in the midst of this, too, that when we see the darkness in the world, when we see the brokenness that is out there, we can look at it and go, Yeah, this is what Jesus said it was going to be like, but there are also all of these promises about him being present with us and also that someday he is going to come again. So when we hear these these words of what it's going to be like, if we are hearing it clearly, it should be a source of strengthening our resolve and also reflecting on the hope that is there. Now, he gives this list of what people will be like in this season. He says, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's a lot there. Um, You will be glad to know I do not intend to talk through every one of those this morning. But there actually is some structure to it. So if you look at it, it starts and ends by talking about what they love. So in verse two, it talks about that they are lovers of self, lovers of money, and it ends with that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then inside those discussions of love, there's, there's three attributes that are talked about. So at the beginning, it talks about them being proud, arrogant, and abusive, and on the other side, that they are going to be treacherous, reckless, and swollen with conceit. There's this sense of that because of the ways that their loves are oriented, there is an inner kind of pride and conceit which affects the way that they're treating others. And then in between those, there's eight things that are all um, good attributes that are being negated. So for instance, in English, we have words like amoral, where you have moral and then A is negating it. Well, it works that way in Greek, too. and all of the words, there's eight things here where it's a good attribute that has a, an A, an alpha in front of it saying, they're not that, right? They are not holy. They are not grateful. They are not self-controlled. But I think what I, I want to focus on this morning is this idea of what do we love, right? That what is fundamental here is that the love of these people has gotten misoriented right and it lists three things that they are lovers of self lovers of money and lovers of pleasure and i think the rest of these attributes that he lists in some ways are outgrowths of those loves being in the wrong place now we talked last week um, about this idea of how are we supposed to be an honorable vessel and one of the things we talked about is that we are supposed to at verse 22 of chapter 2 flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace well, I think this is a, a, a kind of a, a place where we could go back to that and say, well, we talked about how you flee the youthful passions with regards to quarreling, but here he gives a whole list of things that are also things that obviously are contrary to God that we should be trying to flee. Right? These are things that we should be running from if we are going to be truly useful to the master. And I think from that, What this is saying is that there are some things that we are going to be tempted to love, things that are going to make a place for the center of our heart, and we have to try and flee those things and instead put our love centered on God, right? The greatest commandment is that we are to love our God with all our hearts and all our soul and all our strength, which means that if we have an area in our life where we are struggling with sin, if we have an area of our life where we are consistently having trouble walking away from the things of this world and pursuing the things of God, one of the things that we should be looking for is, is my love miscentered? Right, because very often the issue is not our behavior and the answer isn't necessarily behavior management. The issue very often has a much deeper root, which is that we have allowed something to take the center of our loves and it isn't Jesus. So although here he is describing you know, a group of people that are very opposed to God, there's a good chance we could look at this list and go, you know, there's a couple things in here that I honestly struggle with. There's a couple things in here where I see a little bit of that in myself, and, and so I think that there is still the call for us to respond out of verse 22. Flee youthful passions, right? These youthful passions not being anything about being young as much as it is about being spiritually immature, of, of just being controlled by our emotions and our fleshly desires, and as a part of that, Our love's being centered not on Jesus Christ, but our love's being centered on ourselves, on money, on pleasure. So that was sort of the first thing I wanted to to talk about. What does it look like for us to be honorable vessels, to be useful to God, is that there are these things that we need to flee. But he goes on in verse 5. He says this. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people... From among them are those who creep into the household and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonathan Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the flesh. So he gives Timothy a command there that there are some people that, that Timothy is supposed to just avoid, not supposed to... Be with them. But I think it's important that we we understand who these people are, because there's a tension here, right? On the one hand, there's no doubt that if we were to consider who are the people that we would want to share the gospel with, they are going to have some of the attributes in that list, just by virtue of the fact that they're not trying to follow God. So is is Paul telling Timothy, don't basically talk to anybody? Like, is this some sort of radical isolationist vision of the church? I don't think so. I think there are some particular things about the people here that Timothy is being told to avoid. Because notice he says something, they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. So there is something deceptive about what they are doing, that they are giving the air that they are godly, they are giving the air that they are representative of Jesus, but in actuality they are denying the power of the gospel. In actuality they are denying the power of God. And he goes on to talk about how these people are actually taking advantage of those that are the most vulnerable. He talks about here that they are going into households and capturing weak women. And I don't think that this is Paul saying that all women are weak. I think he is reflecting on what was happening in his day that evidently there were women who by virtue of both their social position as well as evidently their own sinful patterns were vulnerable to being led away from the gospel and that that's who these people were targeting because they were easy marks. And that is what I think Paul is talking about here. He's saying these are the people you need to avoid, people who, you know, aren't, yes, living, they live this kind of life, but they are also seeking to actively pull people away from the gospel. And he talks about that they are, um, where did it go? Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith in verse 8. This is not just talking about someone who, who is caught in sin. This is talking about someone who is actively leading people away from the gospel. And he says you should avoid them. And, The reality is, is that these people do exist. They sometimes exist within the church. That there are people who aren't just, it's not just a matter of, okay, they're wrestling with sin, but they are actually looking to take advantage of others. And when we see that, our response should be, to pull away from them, yes, to still desire that they repent, yes, desire that they turn back to the Lord, but we should not think that somehow we are going to be the ones to be able to do that, that we need to be able to to step back and and protect ourselves and protect the church by avoiding people who are actively seeking to do that. So I think that this is um, kind of a second part that what does it look like to be an honorable vessel? It's one Fleeing these things ourselves, but also pulling away from those who are actively leading others away from the gospel. But again, this is not a, a, a pull away from all of those who, who need to know Jesus, right? There, there is a tension here, and there's a, an aspect of discernment to this about who we're dealing with and whether being involved with them is going to be spiritual beneficial for us and for them. Paul continues in verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he ends this section by holding up his own life to Timothy. I think is an example of this is what it looks like to be an honorable vessel. Again, as a way to encourage Timothy, actually, by pointing out, like, hey, this has been hard. He talks about the fact that there has been, been suffering at Iconium, at Antioch, and Lystra. These are places that would have resonated with Timothy because it's from the area that he's from and may have actually seen Paul in some of these contexts, But he also says that I have laid out this pattern of teaching, of conduct, of an aim in life, of faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. He said this is what it looks like in order to be an honorable vessel. And this sometimes strikes us us a little bit like, wow, he he can say that, right? Like there's other places where Paul says things like, follow me as I follow Christ. That's pretty bold. But... I think all of us should strive to be to that place where someone could look at our life and say, man, if I did what they did, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing for Timothy here. He's saying, he's laying out, this is what it looks like. And he ends with this, verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life and Jesus Christ will be persecuted. He's he's being realistic with Timothy that in this world where there are people living into these behaviors whereas Jesus said lawlessness is increasing, the love of many will grow cold. If we desire to be an honorable vessel, if we desire to live a godly life, it's going to be hard. We should expect that there is going to be resistance to that. We should expect that there are going to be times of persecution even for American Christians, right? Because we all face off against the, you know, the big three, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? A world that is hostile to God and does not want the light of Jesus. There is the flesh, just this this inner struggle that we have to live into these things, to flee the youthful passions. And then we have an enemy who is working against us. And so this is like the sobering reality that if we desire to live a godly life, There is going to be opposition. There is going to be difficulty to it. But again, Paul does not say this to Timothy to discourage him. Because Paul's life, I think, is one that we would look at and go, that was remarkable. Right, Paul's life was one of fruitful ministry. Paul's life was one of seeing many coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul's life was one of getting to see the power of God in his life on a daily basis. So yeah, was it hard, but it was worth it. So when Paul says, yes, it's going to be difficult, but look at my life. He's not saying, it that. man, you've got a lot of hard stuff to look forward to. That's not it at all. He's encouraging Timothy to stand fast in the midst of difficulty because he is confident that Timothy is going to experience the grace and the love and the power of Jesus Christ in his life in the midst of that. And the same is true for us. You know, we've been talking a lot about our church doing gospel proclamation in in this season. And and I think that this idea of being an honorable vessel is a part of that, right? That we are wanting to offer ourselves as an honorable vessel to God, as one through whom he works. And if we are gonna do good gospel proclamation as a church, we can expect there is going to be some opposition to that from a lot of different places. But we can step into that with confidence and courage because we have examples of people like Paul and Timothy who stood fast in the midst of it and got to see The grace and the power and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, I see a threefold call here. First, there is a call for us to flee false loves, to see if there are ways that self or money or pleasure has started to become the center of what we are seeking. Second, there may be people that we need to consider just avoiding if they are actively pulling us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, there's a call to face the difficulty of living a godly life with courage and with hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, passages like this are hard. This is presenting a world that we kind of wish was different and we long for the day when it will be. Um, We look forward to that day, Father. But we also know, God, that in the midst of, of difficulty, in the midst of a world where lawlessness is causing the love of many to grow cold, that, Lord, there is great love in you. And so pray, God, that you would encourage us, that you would give us boldness, that even in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hard seasons, God, where we are seeking to live a godly life, that we would know your strength, that we would know your power, that we would know your grace, that we would know your love. All these things I pray in your precious and holy name. Amen.